wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. You'll find links to connect with us on social media at bleedingdaylight.net, along with many more Bleeding Daylight episodes. Some people talk about bravery as something extraordinary in unusual and highly dangerous situations. But what's it like to practice bravery in our everyday lives? My guest today is living that kind of brave life. Brenda Seafeld is a pastor, speaker, wife and mum of four. Her book, I Wish I Could Take Away Your Pain, is about the people who have helped her carry her pain. She continues to share stories of bravery through her website, and she is my guest today on Bleeding Daylight. Brenda, thank you so much for your time. (laughs) Thank you for letting me be here. Through your speaking and writing, you do speak a lot about bravery. I'm wondering why that theme is so central to who you are. I just turned 60, okay? I've always had this part of my life, and I've been able to define it more in the last few years. But when I became a Christian, I was 15, so this is a long time ago. And that moment, black and white moment in my life, I have just been making these brave decisions ever since that moment. And so when I started to figure out what a faith looks like, it always came down to making a brave decision about it. And I came up with this definition of bravery as your decisions to actually trust God. And that is full of vulnerability because with God, there's no guarantee of the controlled outcome you want. As I've been reflecting back on my 60 years and my 45 years following Jesus and 43 years of that as being in the ministry, It has been like one brave decision to brave decision to brave decision where I've just knew I had to go in this direction. I knew there was some risk involved in it, but I just had to go in this direction. So I started writing about how our faith is made up like for brave decision to brave decision. And that's a very refreshing outlook because we certainly see in Scripture that there is no guarantee, as you say, of the outcome. There's a guarantee that if we trust in God, then things are going to, some might say, work out. But these days, we get this impression that work out means it's all going to be great for me. And yet we don't see that in Scripture, and we don't see that in real life. And yet we know that we have a God that we can trust. Can you talk to me a little bit about that balance, knowing that, hey, I'm not sure of the outcome but I know that it will be for God's glory. This is definitely something I've been reflecting on a lot with my 60th birthday. I have very few regrets in my life because I would always take this decision of bravery. So like I'm an 18-year-old, pretty new Christian, and I'm seeing an opportunity to serve in this church, and I just said yes because I just trusted God. From that, I got a call into full-time ministry, and I left to get my college training. That was all in the early 1980s as a woman, and that was against the norm at the time, against expectations of me as a daughter and as a woman in society. And I just kept following these brave decisions. Again, it's not been promised. It's not been good. It's not been easy. But I have had a life of few regrets because of that. This is gets to the trust issue because 
at my age now, I can say, I trust God with my everything. In about 1990, I had a smashing year. Be about year nine in the ministry, and I was an overworked, burnt out, overachieving youth pastor at my church. Everything that was supposed to happen didn't happen, and my life was broken. There was a season there where I was like, God, I've been following you and following you, and where has been your promise back to me? You didn't take care of me going through this kind of a back and forth thing. And in this season, and it was a good long year of figuring out my faith, figuring out if if God is trustworthy, figuring out if God did not abandon me, I discovered the story of Jacob in Genesis 32 where he wrestled with God. This story has just been the foundation of my life ever since. Because in that story, you got Jacob wrestling with God. He's going back to meet up with his brother. He's bringing his family, his successes he's had along the way. But the night before he meets up with his brother, he has this encounter with God. And instead of saying, oh God, oh, it must be you. I'm going to just sit here and be quiet and let you bless me. He said, no, I will not let you go until you bless me. They had this night of wrestling and this night of knowing that Jacob had the blessing. And the morning came, Jacob didn't go, oh my goodness, I've been wrestling with an angel or with God, whatever you want to believe that, you know, that Hebrew word is. He didn't say, oh, let me pick you up, God, and let me clean you off. And I'm sorry, I spent all night doing this with you. I should have trusted you more. At the moment he realized who he was wrestling with, it says he held God down and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. When I heard that, I decided I've got to know that I'm called to be in the ministry, that I'm called to this path, that God is with me, and I will know that I have this blessing. And I have just not let go of God ever since. When things have been hard, and they have been hard, they've been harder since 1990, I have just have not let go. I have wrestled. I have been angry at God, so angry, but he's known it, and he's never abandoned me. And when I come through, there's this deeper knowing that God has always been with me. He's never abandoned me. He does not roll his eyes at me, and that knowing just keeps me going to the next day and to the next brave decision. And now at 60, golly, I have lived quite a life. I'm interested in a balance here between this wrestling with God, which, as you say, we clearly see in Scripture, and sometimes there there tends to be, from some people, this arrogance of, God, you give me what I want, as opposed to this, God, I need your blessing, whatever that might look like. I, I need to know that you're with me. Help me understand that balance between those two things of people who we see from time to time saying, no, God, you just need to bless me with all the material blessings or whatever it might be. And this, Lord, you bless me in the way that you see fit. I guess in my wrestling seasons, and there have been many, it hasn't been over the success of my ministry. There was a season I was angry about not being married yet. I didn't get married until I was 33. And that was a wrestling season. So maybe in that one, it was probably maybe this this tension that you're talking about, but most of it has just been, I just need to know you're with me because I don't understand what 
is going on in my life right now. And it didn't supposed to wasn't supposed to turn out this way. But like in that one season when I was pretty angry at God for not being married yet for so many, many reasonable reasons. I really feel that to this day. It was three years later when I did get married to a man I hadn't met yet. This is a very good match. This has been a very fun, healthy marriage that I just had to realize in that wrestling season, God still had me. And then once I got the fruition of my wish three years later, which is sometimes not that long, really, but it felt like forever, God's faithfulness showing up, giving me a really good marriage. And I cannot stress that enough because we're in the ministry. This is so hard. Helps me the next time to say, okay, right now I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting the solution, but I know there is going to be something better for me if I just wait this thing through. And it's something we've been talking about a lot in my church. We have a lot of conversations as part of our church worship is how God doesn't answer our prayers in sequential order. And sometimes we get a little bit early, sometimes we get a little bit late. Sometimes we get it all at once, sometimes we get it over time. And that when we have an expectation of sequential order, I think we're coming into a prayer with an, with an expectation. And when does God answers prayer, it just is not sequential. You mentioned going into that period of great difficulty, that period of burnout, And you had also touched on the fact that you were entering, when you started into ministry, you were entering into a domain that was not generally open to women of the the sort of ministry that you were entering. Do you think that part of the burnout was because you felt that you needed to achieve in this area, that you needed to prove someone, and, and this just proved to you your reliance more on God, but that you were trying to do this in your own strength? Because I think that sometimes... We all get caught in that trap of trying to achieve the right things for the right reasons, but in our own strength. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, I got a really young start in this because I had two men see the calling in my life and really pour into me and gave me probably a head start for most people. I mean, they really opened doors and opportunity for me. And I moved away to where I am in Washington, D.C. area, where I felt God was calling me to be and where I've been here for 35 years now. And I moved away from those two men and didn't have good men speaking into my life, but one that was, I was just never enough for him. And I was a woman and I, you know, was never enough. Letting down a male figure when I had two really good ones was just backwards, but I didn't know it at the time. And I was so used to success, probably too early. It was a very, very hard season, but it has changed me so very much. I'm a much better, humbler minister than I was in the 1980s. Love my ministry then. I love the teenagers I met with then. I'm a youth pastor. I love those teenagers. And there's a lot of bonds between us to this day. But how I approach my position has changed greatly because I see my identity is in God's pleasure in me, not me pleasing the man I have to work for at this church. Do you think we sometimes misunderstand there's this term of resting in God and and there are some people who just 
they just want to keep resting. <laughs> There's a misunderstanding of what that means, that we are to continue to make the sorts of brave decisions that you've made, leaving the results up to God, rather than just sitting back and saying, okay, God, you do whatever. The older I get, the more rest I need, the more in my resting I can hear what the next brave decision is. Getting off that fast track of success and finding this whole different identity and resting in God. And I began back then. I was able to hear what that next brave decision was so much easier because I wasn't caught up in the crazy busy of my importance or in trying to prove my worth to the men of the church. And so finding the brave decisions has just gotten easier and easier. And again, as I get older, I need to rest more to sustain being in ministry this long. And the brave decisions are just there. With age, wisdom, wrestling, I know what they are, and I know when I need to make them. As you look back across a life of ministry, can you help us understand what some of those brave decisions have been? When you've come to that crossroad, there's been that decision in front of you. What have some of those decisions been? I have several that have shaped me. Leaving to go to college and going into full-time ministry, getting married was a brave decision. I was single for 15 years, and I had that crisis when I turned 30. But after that, I was like, it's me and God, and I am single for God, and I'm going to do this, and I am just fine. And then when I met my husband, who I said, again, this has been a very great match, he was not at all who I thought God had for me to be. If you can imagine, you know, you're the single pastor in church, dating in church, and all the gossipy people in church, dating was just always, there's always extra. I just could never date normally because there's all this, this extra going on. But I will say that, that those gossipy people also kept me in good boundaries. I will, you know, add that blessing to that. When I met John, and he was not my type, and he, I was not that interested in him, but he was very interested in me, it was the people in my church who kept telling me, look at him, look at him. He is great. Look at him. And after a good year and a half of wrestling over this decision, I saw John for how the people in my church saw John. Then the decision was really easy. But that was a good, long wrestling season because I knew what I was giving up at this point, and I was pretty content being single, but that was a good one. But probably my bravest decision was becoming a mom to our four boys, which who are now men, by the way. This was, again, one of the ones you make in resting, but was also an obvious one, but also a lot of unknown and fear attached. I've been a youth pastor. My whole life, my whole adult life, literally, I met some boys doing youth ministry work. I met some boys who are not church kids and came from a really rough, underprivileged background. And they attached themselves to me in such a way that I noticed God saying, look at these boys. Look at these boys. And I was single at the time. And I'm going, okay, I will follow you, God, with this relationship with these boys, but I'm single. What are you doing? And I would follow them to their homes and meet their, meet their parents. I'd follow them to the drug corner. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent with them on that drug corner, just talking to them and sharing faith. And they were drawn and they kept showing up, 
They kept coming to church. They kept attaching themselves to me. It was in the same season of life when I had met John. And we had a like a short dating season because already there was this long wrestling season before that. When I introduced the boys to John, there was this moment. We told them we were getting engaged. And I was excited because I had just made this grand, long wrestling decision. The boys pulled me aside and said, we like John and all, but we think he'll be like every other step parent and take you away from us. And it was in that moment I knew that this was different. And I heard God say very clearly, and you have to be able to hear this, so this is in the resting and this is in the God, what are you doing? I heard God say very clearly saying, you need to parent these boys, not pastor these boys. John and I had a big discussion about this, and we agreed. And they were in and out of our homes until they turned 18. And then when they turned 18, their parents turned them over to us. And we've been raising them now for over 30 years. There's a lot in that decision. There's a lot of pain in that decision. It's the best decision of my life since becoming a Christian at age 15. It is the one that's shaped me the most. But I had to follow God into discomfort, into unknown. But when you see God's hand like that, you just get curious enough and you follow because you just see something's going on here. Why are these boys so attached? And now 30 plus years later, and we're all, we can all reflect on these tumultuous years. We all of us, all six of us, the boys and John and I just see God's hand time and time and time again that led us through all these decisions to give us this great story. And there's this parallel that I see with these young men as they were at the time saying, we feel we're just going to be let down again. We've been let down in the past and we think this is going to happen again. And yet, piece by piece and moment by moment, you're able to continue to build that trust to the point where obviously now you are absolutely trusted that this wasn't a, a stepdad that came and, and took you away from them. <laughs> Do you think sometimes there's a parallel between that and the way that we view God? We feel, no, I've been let down again. I'm not sure I can commit fully to this God that I read about in the scriptures. That is so beautifully captured. And yes, my boys have had to overcome a lot, and that's their stories, but they love Jesus. I have six awesome grandchildren who have, from the day they were born, know they were wanted, have known about Jesus. And so we're changing generational stuff here, probably because they've got 30 years of someone not letting them down, someone who has stuck with them through some bad decisions, and they had, that is not disavowed them from our lives. You know, we've stuck with them and now we're coming to this good part. You know, they're over 40 now. So they're, you know, they're reflecting back and seeing God's hand through everything. And that wowness, they're now passing on to their children. It's a beautiful story. When did you decide that you were going to put some of these brave decisions and the life that you have lived down into this book? This book took me about a week to write. Now, it's not very long. It's 28 pages, got doodles in it. It's a wonderful, easy read, inspiring book. But it took me about four days to write it because it all came out of me, just like that. 
the decision was, I got to write, and this came out of me. But the decision came from something I've learned over these brave decisions is I've needed to have some people in my life who are really with me in my life. So let me tell you about my Moo group. I have a small group of women. We're called Moos, as in mothers of offenders. The hard part of my life still is that two of my sons, despite having us in their lives, still did not make it away from the prison system. And we're still dealing with the prison system now for 25 years. This is a part of my life, and again, I'm a pastor, part of my life that I just can't share with everybody. Mostly because I get looks of fear. <laughs> People don't know what to say, and I un- I understand this, and I have mercy for that. But I also need people to be with me in this long haul that prison is. I was at a church 25 years, and this church just supported me beautifully with these boys. They're the one that told me that John was okay to marry. It was a really good 25 years of my life there. We're this group of mothers of offenders, and we get down, we sit together, and we can tell each other stuff that we understand. And they hear my sobs and say, me too, and I know they mean it. They're not going to give me what I call a drive-by prayer or a platitude because they're trying to remove themselves from my pain because I know the story is painful. But they just sit here and say, me too. And once I can share it with my mood group, the rest of my life becomes a whole lot more manageable. I'm not oversharing my story because I'm seeking people to look at me and say, I understand. I have that group that says they understand. I know they understand. And that's enough. So I can live, again, this brave life. I can live this leadership life knowing that this part of my life is hurting and broken and the prison system does not end. There's unfairness. COVID is in the prison system. There's unfairness and you got worries that nobody else has. I can tell my women and they understand me. So my book is about what we have learned in my Moo group and how to really carry each other's pain, what to do and what not to do. There's actually three full pages of a list of what not to do. And that's the worth of the price of the book because all those what not to do's is the things that we do do And I think we've probably all been victim to them. But these things that we just remove ourselves from someone's pain because we don't know what to say. We're overwhelmed. It triggers something else inside of us. And we we just don't carry it well. So this is how to find your people and how to help your people. There's a couple of things that I hear in that answer. One is that It is so important that we do life together with others. And I think sometimes in the church, we forget that. We turn up on a Sunday or or maybe a midweek meeting and we call that doing life with people when it's definitely not. We need to find those people. But also being okay with showing the vulnerable side of who we are to those people outside the church. Because sometimes we get this strange idea that we have to try and present ourselves as perfect to those who don't yet know Jesus. And yet when we do that, they think that's not something I could ever become. How important is it that we're able to show our vulnerability and then show them the God that we run to for those who are not within the walls of a church? Absolutely. There's a book I read in 1990 by John Fisher called Real Christians Don't Dance. 
it's out of print, but it's my second favorite book to the Bible. And he wrote this whole chapter on how the magical ministry tour comes to town and we're on the stage and then we leave, you know, and, and the audience is like, ooh, and awing over the ministry tour, but they've never met Jesus. <laughs> that has shaped me. Again, as I was dating as a single person, I kept it vulnerable to the church, even though with the gossipy church ladies, I still kept it vulnerable because one, it gave me accountability. And two, they got to see that I am trusting God for this decision. And again, John starts showing up and now they're telling me what to do because they knew I was trusting God for this decision. So this slightly braver version of who I am, I'm just continually growing to be slightly braver, I think shows how God is really an active and near part of my life and can be for you also, that I'm not that special because I'm complete and all brave. No, I'm just slightly braver than you because I'm older than you right now, at least. (laughs) So there's that opportunity to show that we can make these brave decisions. How important is it to, to actually tell that to people both inside and outside the church that there is a God who is for them? Everything. People have trust issues with God. They have trust issues with institutions. The church is an institution and the church represents God. So they have trust issues with God. And there is layers and layers. And thanks to the internet, the layers of the church are now exposed for all to see. And these trust issues with the institution of the church, thus leading to trust issues with God, is such a big issue. Again, I work with teenagers. I see this. I hear this. I've had so many hundreds and hundreds of teenagers walk away from their faith because of some kind of hurt. Teaching and reteaching this, what I call the larger story God, is that God holds our larger story together. Again, it's not in sequential order, but He holds our larger story together that we just need to stay in this because He is for us. And I could just you know, repeat verse after verse, psalm after psalm, gospel after gospel to teach this part of Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. So when that life crisis hits, that they will remember. This is what the scripture says, not what they were taught, not a behavioral modification kind of teaching, but this is what they were taught. And the second part that's so important is intergenerational wisdom, that if the more of us older adults who can share what we have learned over the years, can pour that into people younger than us or in different generations than us, and they can see us broken, healed, growing, getting slightly braver. They look at not only the pastor and say, well, okay, that's the ministry tour going on right there, but they can look at those great saints in the church. Again, we need to be people in the church and say, oh, I wonder if Miss Mary can talk to me about this. And then Miss Mary loves to, and there's this intergenerational wisdom that can be passed on that is such freedom. And you say, God is for me because Miss Mary told me God is for me. When faith gets shaken, those two things, the scriptures about who Jesus is and intergenerational wisdom will keep people coming back to faith again and again and again. 
you have a story that's about daring to love, daring to forgive, daring to make brave decisions. I'm sure that there are people listening at the moment who say, I want that kind of bravery. I want to know more about it. If people are wanting to find out more about you to get your book or to read more of your writings, where is the easiest place for people to find you? That would be bravester.com. That's brave with S-T-E-R ending on it, like hipster. Bravester.com. And I write the story there. I write in three different categories. One is brave faith. One is brave dating. Again, I've worked with a lot of teenagers. I've dated a lot and a lot of young adults. I've, I've coached all the way into marriage. So I have a lot to say about dating and doing it with, with bravery instead of just the way it was done in the 90s. I just I, I was there. I was sorry about that, people. <laughs> about brave parenting. Because again, to reach the teenagers, it's got to be the parents. So, parents, I'm talking to you how you can. I know you feel inadequate with your teenagers. I'm an old youth pastor, the oldest one in the world, baby, telling you this is what you can do to help your teens to stay in their faith. And I write about that in Brave Parenting. So that's bravester.com. My book is the, the Kindle version is available on Amazon. The soft cover version is available through bravester.com. But it comes with a card. But I want to talk about this card for a moment because this is the card you want to receive when life has smashed you. So the front of the card says, I wish I could take away your pain. I also promise not to tell you that everything happens for a reason. Then you open the card up and it says, I'm sorry this is happening to you. I'm not afraid of your pain. I won't have all the, of the answers, but I will be here for you with coffee, snacks, and my not-perfect wisdom. We will find God in this horrible thing together. I saw the soft cover with this card, hoping that you can give this card to somebody and be that person for somebody. I'm sure that there will be many people that will want to do that. Brenda, thank you so much for your time. I will put a link to your website in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can grab that easily. But Brenda, really appreciate your time. Thank you for telling your story and continuing to tell your story and helping others in doing so. Thank you for letting me share it. It's You know, when I get to tell it like this, looking back at my life, I'm just wowed also. So thank you for this moment of awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.